Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Nick Barr, and this is episode 11. Today I wanted to talk a little bit about nihilism, or at least my conception of it. Um, And it's a subject that was um, prompted by a tweet um, from David Chapman, who um, had actually listened to a previous podcast. Um, I was very happy to hear that. Um, And he encouraged me to say more um, about a point I made toward the end about sort of um, rather than getting past nihilism, we embrace it, uh, incorporate it, and, and actually can uh, deploy it um, from time to time as a, a tool. Um, and so I wanted to elaborate on that. Um, I, I'm not going to address nihilism sort of from a philosophical perspective. I actually don't. I don't know who the famous nihilists are or if there are famous nihilists. I'm not actually that interested in it as a school of thought. If it is a school of thought, I will speak briefly to, you know, just the root, uh, nihil, uh, nothing in Latin. So nihilism is sort of nothingism, which is a fascinating kind of, uh, philosophy to explore. What does it mean to be a nothingist? Um, and I actually think we're, we're going to find some answers to that, um, through two pieces of literature. Um, the first we'll read, um, Nietzsche's the parable of the madman, which, um, includes, uh, the famous line, God is dead, which many people think to be sort of, um, the nihilist slogan. And we'll discuss that a little bit. Um, and then we'll read a short poem by Wallace Stevens called The Snowman. Um, so I'll, I'll go ahead and start with The Madman. Um, it's a little bit long. Probably will take us about 90 seconds to two minutes. Um, and then we'll, we'll talk through it. So this is The Madman from The Parable of the Madman, 1882. And I just found this online. Um, but it, it is sourced from the gay science translated by Walter Kaufman. So uh, it should be a pretty good translation. Here it is. Have you not heard of that madman who lit a lantern in the bright morning hours, ran to the marketplace and cried incessantly, I seek God, I seek God. As many of those who did not believe in God were standing around just then, he provoked much laughter. Has he got lost? Asked one. Did he lose his way like a child? Asked another. Or is he hiding? Is he afraid of us? Has he gone on a voyage, emigrated? Thus they yelled and laughed. The madman jumped into their midst and pierced them with his eyes. Whither is God, he cried. I'll tell you, we've killed him, you and I. All of us are his murderers. But how did we do this? How could we drink up this sea? Who gave us the sponge to wipe away the entire horizon? What were we doing when we unchained this earth from its sun? Whither is it moving now? Whither are we moving? Away from all suns? Are we not plunging continually? Backward, sideward, forward, in all directions? Is there still any up or down? Are we not straying as though an infinite nothing? Do we not feel the breath of empty space? Has it not become colder? Is not night continually closing in on us? Do we not need to light lanterns in the morning? Do we hear nothing as yet of the noise of the gravediggers who are burying God? Do we smell nothing as yet of the divine decomposition? Gods too decompose. God is dead. God remains dead. And we have killed him. 
How shall we com- comfort ourselves, the murderers of all murderers? What was holiest and mightiest of all that the world has yet owned has bled to death under our knives. Who will wipe this blood off us? What water is there for us to clean ourselves? What festivals of atonement, what sacred games shall we have to invent? Is not the greatness of this deed too great for us? Must we ourselves not become gods simply to appear worthy of it? There has never been a greater deed, and whoever is born after us, for the sake of this deed, he will belong to a higher history than all history hitherto. Here the madman fell silent and looked again at his listeners, and they too were silent and stared at him in astonishment. At last he threw his lantern on the ground, and it broke into pieces and went out. I have come too early, he said, then, my time is not yet. This tremendous event is still on its way, still wandering. It has not yet reached the ears of men. Lightning and thunder require time. The light of the stars requires time. Deeds, though done, still require time to be seen and heard. This deed is still more distant from them than most distant stars, and yet they have done it themselves. It has been related further that on the same day the madman forced his way into several churches and there struck up his requiem eternum deo. Let out and called to account, he is said always to have replied nothing but, What after all are these churches now, if they are not the tombs and sepulchres of, of God? Um, so that's uh, this little parable of the madman. I don't know if I'd read that before. It's, that's really great. Um, I'm glad we read the whole thing and not just the, the little snippet that is famous, um, God is dead and we've killed him. Um there's actually, I think there's a lot to unpackage here, and, and I think it's an open question where to locate nihilism in this passage. Uh, my conclusion might differ from yours and might surprise you. Um, so the madman, of course, is the harbinger of, of the news that God is dead. I love that metaphor about sort of how, you know, the, the event has happened, but it's still on its way, right? That God is dead, but we don't know it yet. That the light of the stars takes time. Um, he came too soon. Of course, that's Nietzsche talking. Nietzsche, uh, always felt and was, was right that he came too soon. Um, and it took him a while to, um, and is probably still taking him a while to sort of find his audience in the right way. Um, so, uh, I'm not sure if it's completely fair to conclude all this from just this passage, but I, I interpret God is dead. Um, and we've killed him, um, to basically say that we know that God doesn't exist Um, And we know that because of science and what science has told us. And so, you know, Nietzsche's late 1800s, Darwin's uh, book came out, I think, in like the 1860s. Um, And Nietzsche, no doubt, read Darwin, was deeply influenced by him. And um, I I don't know, I'm not a historian by any stretch of the imagination, but like I have to imagine um, that that finding must have just shook like the foundations of um, society. I, I guess the sort of the seeds of doubt must have already been there, but once you accept Darwin's theory, it's very, very difficult to um, go back and uh, embrace at least the traditional interpretation of God um, and the creation of man. Um, it seems like from that point on, people were just sort of like clinging to uh, like fragments of God, right? Well, okay, you know, God didn't create man in the way that we think, but maybe there's sort of like a God in the universe or like a God created a seed of life. 
um, I think every God believer since Darwin has sort of, um, been like desperately trying to like pick up the pieces. Um, <laughs> as I said, that's, that's pretty, uh, uh, condescending. And so, um, I'm sure some, I would love to hear, uh, someone with like a, a clear cut belief in God, um, refute me. Uh, I'm, I'm an atheist and uh, born, born and raised an atheist. Um, so my, my personal spiritual journey has been, uh, a non sort of a non-event. Um, I was born not believing in God and unlike the beliefs of Descartes, um, who kind of takes it as given and is actually important for his theory that everyone at some point has some conception of God. Um, I never had that. I never felt God necessary in my life. Um, uh, I guess, you know, I, I've, I've grown more and more interested in spirituality as I've gotten older. And so that can be a subject for another day, but certainly the, the God as creator of all, uh, is just not something that resonates with me. Anyway, um, back to the passage, um, we've killed him, uh, is, is, is a statement of actually the victory of knowledge and the victory of science. Um, and so, Already, you know, God is dead might be a nihilist statement, but we have killed him while being an extremely metal and awesome thing to say is, is a positive statement. We killed him. I mean, that's a victory. Yeah, we're murderers, but we're murderers like Brutus is a murderer. Um, Macbeth is a murderer, right? Like we murdered uh, as a statement of self um, and advancement. And so it's I think it's very difficult to even say uh, God is dead is a nihilist statement because it just comes right before we've killed him, which is a positive statement. Um, that's not a nothing. That's a statement of self. Um, now, no doubt there's this massive gap or power vacuum and the madman points to that. Um, how shall we comfort ourselves? Um, you know, and, uh, one of the questions was particularly Nietzschean, which was, uh, what festivals of atonement, what sacred games shall we have to invent? And if you're like me, that, that line is almost a thrill of sorts. Um, we get to invent some new games now. Um, after we sort of recover from the horror of having this blood on our hands, um, we should be filled with a, with a great excitement um, uh, around all the things that we get to do um, that are pure and true to ourselves rather than sort of inherited from um, a belief system that is wrong. Um, so I won't say too much more about this passage, um, except that of course, um, I, I would claim that the madman is, is no nihilist. Um, and then, you know, the question is, well, is there nihilism in this passage? And I actually think there is. And it's, it's the people at the very beginning of the passage. He says, I seek God, I seek God. And then she says, as many of those who did not believe in God were standing around just then he provoked much laughter has he got lost? Asked one and so on. Um, those are the nihilists and they would never, uh, um, own up to or claim that label. Um, but I actually think that's one of the trademarks of true nihilism for me. Nihilism in its, uh, purest form is, well, I shouldn't say it's purest form, but the most troubling version of nihilism, Chapman's nihilism, I think is really just paralysis. So the second you take on that label, I am a nihilist, that's metal, that's hardcore, that's Nietzsche. Um, and that's, that's a position of action. I think a non-position of paralysis is 
passive disbelief in God, right? Don't forget, these aren't God believers. They're not laughing because they believe in God. They're laughing because they don't think God exists. They're like me. They're sort of born and raised without um, God, and yet they don't know what they've done. They're just standing around. And his words provoke not discussion or heated argument, but uh, just laughter, dismissive laughter. So when you see someone standing around passively disbelieving in God, uh, and laughing dismissively, um, at the words of others, I think that's where your real nihilist is. Cool. So we'll leave Nietzsche for now, um, and move on to the snowman, which is a lovely poem by Wallace Stevens. Um, I would have played you this audio. So I'm, I'm looking at poetryfoundation.org and I encourage you to check it out. There's a lot, a lot of discussion there, which is great. Um, the recording, unfortunately is, is a bad one. I could have sworn that Wallace Stevens himself is on tape somewhere reading this and I would have used his voice rather than mine. But, um, do you want to hear like a little bit of this guy's voice? Uh, <laughs> I'm not trying to be a hater, but this is how he sounds. This audio poem is a production of poetryfoundation.org. The Snowman by Wallace Stevens. I mean, stop even there, like, The Snowman. Uh, Just a sort of, like, poetry voice, and then we'll start. One must have a mind of winter to regard the frost and the boughs of the pine trees crusted with snow. Uh, okay, I mean, I'm going to stop because I, I want to read it. But, like, when I hear recordings like that, um, it bums me out a little bit because I find poetry to be, like, fantastic. But uh, it's so easily ruined by kind of pathos and uh, whispery, whimsical readings. Um, so I'm going to read it myself. I'm going to read it my way. Of course, I've set myself up to fail because now any hint of uh, artificiality in my voice um, – will turn you off and, and please do attack me. Um, if you find my reading to be, uh, saccharine in any way. Uh, so now the pressure is really on, but here we go. Uh, this is the snowman by Wallace Stevens. One must have a mind of winter to regard the frost in the boughs of the pine trees crusted with snow and have been cold a long time to behold the junipers shagged with ice. The spruces rough in the distant glitter of the January sun and not to think of any misery in the sound of the wind, in the sound of a few leaves, which is the sound of the land, full of the same wind that is blowing in the same bare place for the listener, who listens in the snow, and nothing himself beholds nothing that is not there, and the nothing that is. So that's The Snowman. Um, uh, it's such a good poem. Um, and the the punch at the end, um, is what I really wanted to focus on, uh, in our discussion of nihilism. Um, well, but let's set it up properly. So, uh, one must have a mind of, if you didn't grow up in the Northeast or in a cold place, uh, I don't, I don't know if this poem could ever do anything for you. I would love to know if a Californian could read this poem and, uh, have it resonate with them because, um, God, when it's cold and you're outside, um, and you've got that, um, silence created by sort of the, the dampening sound effects of the snow. Um, that's like, that's a real feeling for me. This is a very, this is a poem very grounded in, in not metaphor necessarily, but like, no, actually like when it's freaking freezing, 
um, and you've got that bright sun on you and it's, uh, the snow is everywhere. Um, there's, there's that silence, um, and that misery. Um, but the temptation is to feel the misery, right? So, um, you've got to have that, you've got to have a mind of winter. Your mind has to be just as cold as it is outside, not to experience, um, misery. And when you hear that whistling howl, um, rustling the leaves, um, one must have a mind of winter, uh, on and on, not to think of any misery in the sound of the wind and the sound of a few leaves, which is the sound of the land full of the same wind that is blowing in the same bare place for the listener who listens in the snow. Um, so this kind of like great mirroring of mind and world. Um, but here's the end uh, for the listener who listens in the snow and nothing himself beholds nothing that is not there and the nothing that is. So, uh, you could probably spend a full hour or more on that, um, couplet. Um, but you know, for our purposes, it, it'll do just fine. There's quite a lot of nothing to talk about. So, um, the listener is nothing himself. Well, what does that mean? Uh, that's, that's a, to me seems a pure, uh, um, statement of nihilism. I am nothing. The listener is nothing. I don't know quite how to interpret that um, because we've, we've just said he's been listening and we're about to say he's going to behold something. So as a listener and a beholder, how can he be nothing? Um, my guess uh, at Stephen's meaning or one of his meanings is just that in comparison with the universe that he occupies, um, this barren landscape of snow, um, he is nothing. Um, and, and I suppose we should also go back to these verbs we've been talking about. He listens and he beholds, but what does he do? Is he not just, you know, maybe he's just sort of these five senses, um, right. He's, he's sort of a passive observer. Um, and you know, if you're out there in the snow, oftentimes it can feel like, well, you barely want to move. Um, there's a, there's a certain powerlessness there. So maybe we're not talking about nothing, quite literally nothing, but he's, he's a nothing. He's a nobody, this listener, um, who is us. Um, for the listener who listens in the snow and nothing himself beholds nothing that is not there. So he beholds, he's looking at nothing that is not there. And this is like a real crystal eyed laser beam, uh, focus on the world, which is to say he doesn't see anything that's not there. Right. And, and that, when we're talking about that, we're actually talking about that misery, right? So the anthropomorphism, morphism of this cold day, it's so easy to imbue it with misery or what's going on in our lives. Um, I mean, we always do that with nature, don't we? Um, the, the outside world is oftentimes just such like an externalization of our mind. And so if, if we're bummed out on a rainy day, it's a sad rainy day. Um, but you know, this, this listener, um, who has that mind of winter, um, he doesn't see anything that's not there. He beholds nothing that is not there. In other words, um, he only sees what is there. 
Uh, and so he doesn't see misery. He sees clearly. Um, and so this is, uh, this little part of nothing is, uh, uh, it's interesting. It's, it's an absence, but it's an absence of, of negative. It's an absence of the bad. Um, so, you know, with Nietzsche, we had, uh, God is dead, which is sort of an affirmation of nothing. Um, and in, in Stevens, now we have sort of a not seeing of stuff that isn't there. It's like a, it's a double negative that still nets out into an affirmation. Um, but we're not done. He beholds nothing that is not there and he beholds the nothing that is. He sees the abyss. Um, he absorbs this emptiness. To behold the nothing that is, is kind of a singular moment of strength. Um, and this is, I think, the tie that connects Nietzsche to Stevens, which is, you know, the madman and the listener. The madman beholds the nothing that is. Um, no one else really has, right? So those people who casually don't believe in God haven't really followed that line of thinking to its full logical conclusions. Um, and the madman has, and, and probably that's why he's mad. One must have a mind of winter to go through this uh, exercise of nihilism um, in all of its forms and to come out, uh, if not unscathed, to at least come out listening and seeing and beholding, um, with tremendous clarity, um, with a tremendous, uh, bullshit meter, um, or sensitivity to bullshit, sensitivity to things that aren't there, sensitive to things that are there. Um, and so, um, going full circle back to kind of why we recorded this in the first place, um, the question of like, when is nihilism a tool well, uh, first of all, nihilism takes on many forms, right? And so we've talked about sort of affirmative nihilism. Um, God is dead. I behold the nothing that is there. Um, we've talked about um, listeners who say, I am nothing. Um, listeners who don't see things that aren't there. Um, and then we've also sort of talked about the paralyzed nihilists who would be the last to call themselves nihilists, they would probably call themselves rationalists, um, or, or, you know, believers in science, um, who, uh, laugh at these madmen. Um, and so I think there are no, there are no tools to be had in that last category of, um, the paralyzed. Um, that's like a bad state to be in, but interestingly, those are the people who would never call themselves nihilists. Um, I think someone who, even if temporarily says, I am a nihilist, um, gosh, that's such a tremendous, um, source of strength. Um, and I mentioned, you know, kind of in joking that Nietzsche is very metal, but I actually think like heavy metal is actually a, a perfectly good example. And I'm not a huge listener in the genre, but like this, this crazy strength and, uh, assertion of the self that comes out of the wasteland when, all of your other values have just been destroyed or nuked or, uh, napalm bombed, whatever you, uh, whatever image you want to use there. Um, and, and it's a, such a corny 
um, saying, but it actually, I think it's relevant here. I, many years ago, I was watching uh, an interview with the pitcher. Um, oh gosh, what is his name? He's a pitcher for Barry Zito. He pitched for the Giants and the Oakland A's. Um, and he went through some tough times as a pitcher. He'd been a star, then he got a great contract, then he really struggled, had some injuries, couldn't find his technique back. Um, and they asked him, you know, uh, he, he had a good season. He was starting to have a good season, starting to come back. And they said, like, you know, what turned it around? And he said, sometimes you've got to hit bottom to push off. And, and, you know, you'll hear that from time to time, and it's easy to laugh at. But I don't know, there's something about that that not only feels true, but feels like it's not metaphor that if you've ever gone through very challenging points in your life, um, maybe you've had a similar experience, um, where everything you held to be true or that you counted on, you know, disappeared before you, you had no support structure and you felt sort of spiraling into nothing. Uh, and then you hit something just very, very hard, like a rock, um, that is the self, but it's sort of a sub, 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 subconscious self. Like, uh, it's nothing you can articulate. It's just this very firm ground. Um, it's an unfeeling thing. Um, and if you, if you spiral down enough, you, hopefully you hit that thing. Um, and knowing that that's there, even if you don't know exactly what it is, um, does allow you to propel yourself upward, um, with sort of, um, unprecedented velocity. And so I think that's what I mean. Um, when I say nihilism can be a tool. Well, that's it for, for this episode. Um, I hope you enjoy the readings. I'll, I'll post them in the show notes. Um, and gosh, I hope that didn't get too dark. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I love these two these two pieces, um, in particular the snowman, and I think they're both great articulations of um, nihilism in context um, and nihilism as a journey um, that one reaches um, and one also pushes off from, and um, you know to to put it back in in Chapman's terms that we've talked about in the past, um, you know that's a journey that that in my opinion, doesn't happen once it's, it's a continual journey um, that doesn't necessarily even get easier. Um, but maybe we get more comfortable, um, in the winter. See you next time.